You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today we have Ishmael Rickson, who has been on the podcast before. He's the group CEO of FE International, which is the market leader in the sale of SaaS, e-commerce, and content businesses. Um, and even more than that, I- I'd say they've actually expanded beyond that. They've been doing this for a while. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people know who they are. So great to have Ishmael back. I think it's been maybe two or three years, right, Ishmael? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me back as well. Yeah, great to be able to catch up again. Yeah. Can you like update us. I, I'm going to give a couple of bullet points here. And you just tell me like how things have kind of gone since then. All right. So you guys now have a magazine. So SAS Mag, which I think is awesome. And then last time we spoke, you did about 60 million in business on 400 deals. And then I think commission size about 14% of the deal. And then you guys really just started to crank on your content. But can you update us on, you know, maybe numbers and then what other initiatives you're working on now? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, yeah, so SAS Mag is a magazine we started producing that a couple of years ago, actually. I mean, it took a lot to get it off the ground because as you can imagine, not actually a a publisher or have any real experience in that. But I mean, we have a fantastic team. And actually, we've just brought a few people over from Forbes as well who are going to be working on that going forward. Uh, And obviously, you're in it, I think, in the next one as well. So really excited to to have you in. But yeah, no, business has been very, very good since we last spoke. I mean, you know, generally speaking, M&A, I would say across the board, not just in in the spaces that we're in, has, you know, had a pretty good five-year rally. So obviously, we've participated in that to a small effect. But yeah, last time, I think we were kind of, yeah, like I said, 60 million over 400 deals. Since then, we've ramped significantly in terms of, well, both the, the total amount of deals we've closed. So we're by 2021, we're going to be over a thousand, I would say. And the deal sizes in general have, have gone up significantly as well. So not sure if, you know, last time we had done it yet, but obviously we've done drip and juice and other kind of big sales. So doing a lot more in that kind of mid eight figure range at this stage too. So now we're kind of, you know, that number, total number, you can probably add a zero plus a bit more to it at this stage. And our thing has always been to be the first M&A advisory firm, specifically in the SaaS e-commerce and content space. Um, to kind of hit that billion dollar total acquisition value mark. So very much marching towards that. It was a 10-year plan for us. It's probably going to be more, you know, since I would say kind of five years ago, that was our, had set out a 10-year plan to get it done. And we're much closer to it now than, than we thought we were going to be. But we just have a very, very good team that, that work extremely hard and, and obviously some very, very good clients as well. That's awesome. So I know I gave a quick introduction, right? Uh, you guys, you know, help with M&A around SaaS e-commerce content. I mean, could you maybe give a better, just the, for the people that don't know you, maybe a, a better understanding of what you guys actually do and go from there? Yeah, no, it, absolutely. So it you know, merges and acquisitions in that sense. We work with a lot of clients. So on the sell side, uh, predominantly, we do some buy side every now and then, but you know, 98% sell side, I would say. We work uh, with you know business owners, often kind of founders who accidentally got into being business owners. They probably had a problem of their own, especially in the kind of SaaS space or kind of had a general hobby they're interested in, which is kind of more applicable to content and, and maybe e-commerce. And, and, you know, suddenly whatever they were doing, you know, they, they found a way to monetize it and, and started to gain traction. And all of a sudden they're running a business maybe you know, worth a million dollars, 10 million, 50 million. And we work with a lot of these people in, I'd say, consulting and exit planning mode. I mean, everybody's going to exit their business at some point in time, whether that's through a sale, through kind of handing it down to you know, other people in the family. Or, or some form of other liquidation there. So we work with a lot of people, often in a multi-year process, um, refining, you know, valuing their businesses, 
helping to refine, optimize, improve them to the state where you know, they would be applicable and ready to go to market. Maybe not now, maybe at some point in the future, but obviously the building blocks have, have been put in place because it's not just about financials. It's not just about you know growth. There are lots of other things that buyers are interested in, and it does change from buyer to buyer. So important to, to tick a lot of these boxes early on in the in the you know, while you're still going through a lot of the, the initial stages of, of growth in a company. And then when people are actually kind of ready to divest, we you know, have about 53,000 investors in our network. So we actually go out and go through the process of selling the business, which is a lot of you know boring internal stuff that I, you know, for, for you know, your average founder who kind of doesn't want to necessarily trouble themselves with, with those things, but it's stuff that we really, really enjoy. So obviously valuation work, onboarding, due diligence, legal accounting, tech, kind of all of those kind of elements you know, we, we have divisions in, internally for, which is why we can maintain that. I think our success rate is right around 94.1%. It's because we do internalize every part of the process of people. So it is a multi-year thing in, in certain cases with, you know, certainly some of the large businesses, we kind of like to get in there early and kind of help as much as we can as they grow. So very kind of relationship based in terms of in terms of what we do. And we're just I think a useful resource to people as they go through that kind of entrepreneurial journey and become more and more successful over time. So yeah, in, in a nutshell, that's really kind of what we're here to do for people. That's awesome. So the, the people, let, let's say I go to you guys and I'm like, hey, look, I want you guys to help me sell my business. You guys help me sell. We do like a business sells for 10 million bucks and you guys still do about 14%, right? So you guys will get like one. Well, so it's a bit ratchet. That yeah, I mean, it starts at fifteen, but it, it doesn't uh-huh. ratchet down as you get into the eight and um, you know in the future nine figure deals as well. But yeah, that, that's exactly it. And our model has always been and will always be success only. That kind of multi year process that I mentioned, you know, that kind of consulting work is always free. And and you know, lots of people say to us, you know, why don't you charge retainers or you know, why don't you do this? And, and actually, I was at a IBBA awards thing a couple of years ago, so we won a few things there. And I actually walked in on a conference uh, on a on a presentation presentation and the topic was it was titled why you should charge retainers and how to get more of them out of your clients and you know i was just a bit shocked in the sense that that's how a lot of this works it, it historically has worked in the industry i know ourselves and others you know, in this space particularly don't do that but our focus has always been on you know actually delivering and then you know getting paid on success but if that means working with a client like yourself for you know many years to make sure the business is in really good shape and stack the odds in our favor before we go to market we'll absolutely do that because it's in your best interest is certainly in our best interest as well. And it, it keeps us honest and it means that our goals are, are ultimately aligned. Right. Love it. So, I mean, I, I know in the past, at least, maybe predominantly, it was a lot of SaaS businesses that you're kind of overseeing, right? Is it, can you give a breakdown of maybe what you're seeing now? Is it like 30% SaaS, 30% e commerce? Like, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of distribution, I'd probably say it's a out evenly split when it comes to volume of deals that we're doing. Uh-huh. But then in terms of value, I mean, you tend to find that e-commerce and, and SaaS are on the slightly larger end of things and, and you know, content's kind of your affiliate you know, display advertising lead gen uh-huh. can be on the lower end, although we did close a $12 million content deal earlier this year. So you know, there are some larger ones there, but certainly, you know, with Google and with all the algorithm changes that continue to go on, they kind of, you know, it, it kind of it rebases a lot of those businesses over time as well. So not to say there's a ceiling in, in those spaces at all, but there is less of a compounding nature, you know, certainly relative to SaaS, and in some instances, occasionally e-commerce as well, especially kind of subscription-led e-commerce businesses. Then, you know, if you kind of split out in terms of value, we're talking, you know, at least 60% SaaS and, and then maybe 20 and 20 in terms of so the other two. I mean, e-commerce, generally speaking, we only do larger deals, so we tend to only get into it above $5 million because that's when you start to attract a lot of the private equity interests that actually have deep enough pockets to really 
really put the proper working capital behind some of these companies needed to take them to that next level. So below that, it doesn't always make sense for them. But yeah, that's approximately how it splits out both from a volume and a value perspective. We'll start with SaaS first. So what are you seeing in SaaS right now in terms of uh, multiples? You know, last time we spoke, we spoke a lot uh, in terms of like tactically, but any numbers you can share around the space right now that you think are fascinating that because you guys are seeing all these deals. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, multiple wise, I mean, it does continue to creep up over time. There's a few market dynamics going on at the moment as well, actually, that I'll, I'll kind of dive into as well, kind of specific to, you know, start of 2020. But, you know, multiple, you know, I would say SaaS, generally speaking, mostly going to be looking at kind of on the low end, three and a half up to kind of five, six times SDE for businesses doing less than a million EBIT. And that's often forward looking, not backwards looking. So yeah, that certainly has gone up since we kind of spoke last. I mean, that said, there are definitely outliers. We've done deals as high as kind of eight times forward looking, but that's usually at the kind of mid eight figure level when you start to do it with slightly different dynamics. And obviously kind of some that have been lower as well for kind of case by case reasons. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing in SaaS. I mean, there is a lot of demand always outstrips supplies you can well imagine. And I think, you know, something that's been exacerbating that over the last six months certainly has been what's going on in the stock markets because people who are people who are looking to buy high seven, eight figure businesses, I mean if you follow general portfolio theory, you should never really invest more than you know a couple of percent of, of your investable funds into any one asset. Therefore, you know, you're dealing with people that have significant pools of liquidity available to them. And they're exactly the kind of firms that also, you know, do a lot in the markets, have exposure to that. And the rally that obviously, you know, it's doubled if, if anything over the last kind of three, four years. But a lot of that recent rally has been liquidity led versus kind of you know a lot of these publicly traded companies actually doing better. So there's a lot of people are starting to cash out of that and have more and more funds available. So that kind of supply and demand dynamic is just, you know, turning more and more into the favor of the business owners. And over time, you know, that does continue to, to mean more people are coming into the space, have more available funds and, and the multiples do tend to creep up slowly bit by bit. But yeah, generally speaking, we like to represent very, very high quality businesses that have, you know, long track records. You know, sometimes you know, I would say really we're looking for businesses that have more than kind of, you know, three, so maybe kind of three, four years history on, on the lower end. You certainly there are there are cases where we, we do businesses that are slightly younger. But when you start to do a private equity and and some of the more successful kind of fund managers out there at that level, that's kind of what they're looking for. And in turn they're rewarding those business owners with with higher and higher forward looking multiples because like I said, the, the supply can sometimes Sometimes be a little bit limited. And so around SaaS, I mean, because SaaS can, it's all encompassing, right? You got people that are probably undercharging with $5, $10 a month. And then you have people on the enterprise end, mid-market. So in terms of the SaaS deals that you're doing, which deals work out the best for you? Is it the SMB ones, the kind of mid-market or the enterprise deals? Great question. I mean, generally speaking, the majority is kind of B to SMB, B to B. That's kind of where we do the, the most of it. B to C is obviously far less common. That kind of tends to fall more into kind of app territory than anything else. And, and you know, apps are kind of a much more, well, it's, it's a completely different ballgame in terms of, you know, how to grow and build those over time. Although, you know, we have done some, we're actually about to take an eight figure app business to market in the next couple of months. So they definitely do exist and, and they can scale quite nicely as well. But, you know, B to E, I would say, to so B, you know, enterprise side of it. I mean, those businesses are very, very good where, where you can get them. It just depends on ultimately you know, the procurement cycle of actually bringing those clients on in the first place, because oftentimes that can be very cash and cash and labor intensive, I would say, to do that. And sometimes that can be you know, a little bit out of reach of your kind of average business owner that's you know, hovering around that kind of one to five million dollar total value mark. And for a lot of founders, I would say that's usually the inflection point where they, you know, they have to start actually running a business as opposed to running a, something that's felt more
more entrepreneurial, more like a hobby to them, you know, having three or four projects on the go at the same time. And that's where it's like, well, okay, maybe I need to start hiring an internal salesperson. Maybe I need to start thinking about X, Y, Z other roles. And it, it turns into something that's not necessarily for them. So people that kind of push past that and go to the next level of kind of that human capital commitment, I would say definitely does you know, bring a lot of reward. It can bring in those kind of very loose, very big contracts. And that can then be reinvested those because usually a lot of that's paid up front. So it can be reinvested into kind of new additional growth. So those businesses then can scale quite quickly. And if you look at it from a who's buying these businesses perspective, the private equity and, and the kind of funds who have a lot of these relationships may have the same clients using other SaaS businesses across their portfolios, for example. They, they absolutely love you know, when you go down that B to E route, but it is a, a much, much different challenge to the average kind of B to S and B and B to B business. So as you can you know, instinctively imagine, there are more of that kind of B to B, B to SMB than there are B to E, but then it can scale very, very quickly if enough working capital is there. So over time, we're continuing to do more on that B to E side, but the bulk is still firmly in the B to B and B to SMB space. Awesome. And then around e-commerce, what kind of numbers, interesting stats that you're seeing right now? I mean, again, e-commerce, we generally do the 5 million and up. I mean, at the moment, we have three under offer, I think, in the eight-figure range. And again, it is there are some kind of very well-known players in the space from a buying or investing perspective. The multiples do tend to go up a little bit you know, once you start to get into that eight-figure range. Again, because even more so, I would say, than SaaS, that supply is so limited. And it's not because the businesses don't exist. And obviously, FBA is now you know the, the big beast out there. And lots of people are trying to do FBA, you know, simultaneous FBA and Shopify strategies. But that's always going to be a predominant part of any kind of large enough business. But these businesses oftentimes you know, just don't come to market or wouldn't consider coming to market. So a lot of deals get done privately in that kind of eight and nine figure space. But you know, because of that, a lot of these funds who have the mandate or kind of product you confirm to have the mandate to go out and buy these businesses are actually required to go out and spend this money when they do come across these businesses. They're usually not that sensitive to multiples. They're not that sensitive to you know, what they end up paying. Deal structuring does come into it a little bit more because there's a lot more moving parts and let's say your average SaaS business at that level as well. And usually a lot more people involved and a lot more working capital involved as well. So, you know, deal structuring, I mean, not we don't get into acquires or anything like that, but, you know, certainly the way that the deal is constructed is, is usually the biggest piece around negotiation. But sensitivity on actual multiples then does go down quite significantly. Whereas, you know, in SaaS, for example, sensitivity on multiples is quite a big thing because not too much else to focus on when it comes to negotiating from a working capital or a moving parts perspective. Obviously, human capital is important in, in both both those kind of business models. But that's really the trend we're seeing at the moment in terms of you know, those e-commerce deals that, that are getting done very successfully. Love it. All right. Last time we talked about the the long-term play, I'm going to get to content in a second, but you guys have a fund too, right? Or your principal fund manager at LTV SaaS Fund. Well, what is that and kind of what is the thesis behind that? Yeah, absolutely. And so this is, I mean, a few things about this really. We're actually on our seventh iteration of it now. So we've done quite a few over the past. And, and obviously, you know, we always did with kind of some case, well, well, always because of private money, but then also bringing kind of selective investors at a time. And we've realized that of that kind of 53,000 investors we have in our, in our kind of vet investors in our network, a large amount of them either don't have the time to run a business, are not looking to kind of commit what it would take to, to replace your average founder maybe feel they don't have this, all the skill sets required to do it, but ultimately they still want the exposure to the space. So this really tears for people who want to get into the space, but don't necessarily 
running the actual business isn't necessarily for them for whatever reason. And it started out very small and it's grown and grown and grown. And now, you know, the funds in, in the eight-figure space, as I mentioned, this is the seventh version that, that we're on. And, you know, it just kind of makes sense the line of business that we're in. So ultimately, we, bit by bit, we've continued to, to make incremental improvements and, and changes over time. But we have a very well positioned to deliver value to investors who, you know, feel like it's a good opportunity for them. And there are lots of other funds out that do very, very similar things. And, you know, we're fortunate that, you know, we have a good sense of kind of what's going on in the industry. But the fund is something that after... 10, 11 years of running an M&A firm, we have a very good idea of which businesses do well and kind of the kind of value that we can add to them as well, which has, has panned out very well. So I think the last fund had 36, 37 investors in it. So it kind of gives you an idea of kind of the scale that we're starting to achieve on that perspective. But yeah, I mean, importantly, but the fund, these are all private deals that we go out, we source. It has nothing to do with our M&A business from, from that perspective because the fund is extremely strategic in what it is and isn't looking for. So in, in all cases, you know, we actually go out and start reaching out to businesses that would make sense for us. So yeah, it's handled you know, completely separately from what we're doing here, but ultimately taking the knowledge and expertise we've gained over the last decade or so to deliver a you know, very good return to the investors that have been involved. That's awesome. So it's basically, hey, look, if someone's interested in SaaS, but they don't have the time to dedicate to it, so they go to you guys and basically you guys will you know, handle the private sourcing of the deals and i guess for what types of checks are you looking for if people want to you know put money in yes i mean this round we're looking 250k plus so it's only Uh accredited investors that that's important thing to to mention Uh, this time raising 20 million yeah Yeah. i mean they're all privately sourced deals but it is kind of the again that kind of portfolio there is obviously diversification of of kind of business assets but also risk and kind of putting your check alongside Mm -hmm. a lot of other people's generally speaking you buy much 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 higher quality businesses and you know the, the good thing with us is that and one of the unique things that we can do that a lot of other people aren't positioned to do is that ultimately we can cycle through businesses over the course of let's say a five or ten year fund whereas most funds you know to start with they don't have an M&A engine so deploying capital is extremely difficult for them and you find that you know if they've raised let's say 20 million dollars it may take them two and a half years to actually deploy that which depletes the IRR down completely but then also at the same time you know if we let's say any given fund, we're buying five to eight deals, you know, privately through kind of strategic approaches. You know, you'll find that that probably not the same five to eight businesses that we end up with after five years, because some of those we would have optimized, or kind of a separate team that has the operations would have optimized them over one, maybe two years, feel like they've got to the maximum capacity of what they can achieve, and it's time to move on. And because we have the M&A arm, we can do that in a very fluid and non-disruptive way. Whereas your average fund then, you know, has to stop what they're doing, engage an M&A firm, be very kind of time-consuming. And also, you can end up taking the, the eye off the ball a little bit. So a few kind of unique reasons that we're well positioned to do this. But yeah, kind of that 250k plus investment market is what kind of the minimum we're after. And obviously, only accredited investors. And if someone says, Ishmael, like I'm interested in this fund, what kind of IRR can I expect? What do you say to these people? Yeah, I mean, it's really ranged. So over the course of time, give you some numbers, the lowest we've ever returned is 114% on top of principal. So 214% essentially. That was over a five-year schedule. The maximum has been 800% plus principal on a three and a half year schedule. Although that was a strategic exit. So I'd never promise we could do that uh, in the yeah. you know, future kind of going forwards. But yeah, I mean, I would say kind of you know, including your principal there, somewhere in that kind of 150 to, to you know, 300 ranges is what we target. So we are kind of, you know, very conservative in terms of what we can do. Because obviously these businesses, as we acquire them, are growing quite nicely as well. So, you know, if you, forecast, if you actually forecast it out, theoretically, you should get more than that in terms, you know, as a return. But obviously we like to, you know, reinvest heavily in the first couple of 
couple of years. You know, obviously we are distributing uh, as we go through as well. And like I said, we are you know, selling some of the businesses. So there are some balloon payments that come through that process. It's not just all of the end, but yeah, that's really kind of the range you could expect. Awesome. All right. So working towards wrapping up here. So last time we talked, we talked about how you guys are doing the long-term play with the conferences, you know, the content team. And now you guys have since added a SaaS mag, which I recommend everyone check out if you're into SaaS. I think you guys have doubled down on content as well. And I think you guys have gone even harder on conferences. So can you tell us maybe the thinking behind, I think you guys have top 1000 SaaS as well, right? Is that what you guys own? The website? I'd have to double it. We owe a few kind of relatives. I don't think top, I think we have the SaaS 1000. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah. So what I'm getting at here is you guys are buying these websites. You guys are kind of occupying the thought leadership here. What has that done for you? Maybe any examples just so people know that there's a method to the madness here. Well, I mean, it stressed Thomas out a lot. That's one thing I'll say. He's, uh, I think last <laughs> year, he his ecological footprint is, is not fantastic. It, I think he did 250,000 air miles last wow. year. Yeah, he is out and about. But no, I mean, for us, I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar injury. It already is. And we see that continue to grow. So we're investing so heavily over time. It's always been about thought leadership. It's always been about, you know, making sure people have the right information. Because often what we found, you know, last time we spoke, I think I mentioned as well, I mean, what we found is people often come to us, you know, have read a few things, spoken to a few people. And, you know, the advice may be very good or it may be not so good. And if you're kind of if you've spent your significant chunk of your life building a business, you want to make sure that you have a very clear path on where that can be, what that can lead to in the future. So important that people have the right information. Obviously, people like to digest information in lots of different forms, like so kind of content, obviously podcasts, and those things are extremely accessible and extremely convenient to read. But like I said, it's a relationship-based business. So if you were selling your, you know, 20, 50 million dollar business with us, I would, you know, certainly recommend on both sides that, you know, we have a face to face at some point in time. And if that means that we come fly, meet you in an event, meet at a conference, have you in our New York, San Fran or, or London office you know, to meet, that's what we're all about because it's, there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of expertise that can't just get across over, over kind of blog posts. So definitely doubling down. The magazine has been fan- received fantastically. The fact that it's free certainly helps. But yeah, I mean, the idea there is to take a lot of the knowledge that some of these large enterprise companies have and boardroom and, and try and disseminate that further down the market and, and in some cases vice versa as well so some of the best articles i've read are for people who have built five million dollar businesses not necessarily just salesforce microsoft and whoever else that, that we've had in there but you know conferences is always the big one last time i saw you was at sas stock in dublin yeah. we've got our event coming up in in may so may 18th nice. 20th in, in sf hope to see you there actually and yes that'll be that's LTV Conf, that's in its fifth year now. So lots of these things kind of get done in the background and eventually it's the whole kind of 10-year overnight success thing. So You, you know, guys bought that things. conference too, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And we kind of, you know, we pivoted it because it used to be kind of more aimed at, it was UK-based to start with and sort of aimed at the, the software crowd, but i say more kind of the freelancing element of that. So we kind of took that. And I mean, last year we did it in New York, had over 350 people turn up. This time, obviously with our new SF office, we're, we're going to do it out there instead. But yeah, I mean, these are the kind of things we investing to us this is not a uh, we're not a brokerage firm we're not a marketplace we're an m&a firm and we see this as a 20 to, to 50 year well around that long 50 year thing that uh-huh. um, you know we want to keep doing which means that we have to continuously put investment into the space and you know if that means people work with us great if it doesn't we just hope the advice is, is useful and actionable in some way Awesome. And how about, by the way, guys, you have to check out, it, really, they started with the conferences first. That's how I got to know them. But now they're kind of plastering the entire SaaS ecosystem, which I love. <laughs> and it is a very long-term play, so I love it. How about, if I think about, maybe you can recommend a book around, just your favorite business book in general, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, so over the last couple of, and I'm I'm ashamed that I found this book so late, actually. I should have read it. It should have been the first thing I did, actually. This book called The Goal, which is about 
oh, know, yeah. process an ongoing brew. Yeah, by I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it. Yahal Yahal Goldrand Jeff Cox. It's a fantastic book. It's just a story about you know manufacturing firm in the Midwest and basically going bankrupt and shining a big light on bottlenecks, basically identifying where they are and showing how that can negatively impact throughput and kind of you know really kind of working at fix them. And really the idea that once you fix one bottleneck, another one can crop up further down the line. So you know how do you keep that continuous improvement? Which I guess goes back to Kaizen in, in, in some loose form, which is probably the only useful thing I learned from my college degree a very long time ago. <laughs> but but yeah, that is the book I'd recommend. I mean, lots of other people like Traction by Gina Whitman, which again, very practical book. And you know, lots of people are picking up on the, the EOS system, which we actually did about six, seven years ago and worked fantastically for us. But yeah, the, the goal is my favorite by far. That's fascinating. I, so two things. If you guys were on EOS before, what are you, did you moved away from it, I'm assuming. What are you on now? Yeah, so we actually just refined it for you know our business specifically. EOS is great if you're you know thinking what do we do next? How do we how yeah. do we get from kind of B to C? But yeah, after a while, you know, if it works well, you should actually end up kind of you know refining it to only down to a couple of kind of core things you need to do. You know, that kind of intense period that you go through at the start shouldn't last forever. And if it does, maybe you need to kind of reconsider the way you're doing it. But no, the idea is that you should morph it into something that, that can work for, for 10, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Cool. I'll give two recommendations for the audience. So you could start with traction first if your business is getting going. The next thing after is scaling up, which is the next book written by a guy named Vern Harnish. Those guys are kind of competitors now. That's for like if your business is like five million plus. And then I just I got this awesome recommendation. It's called the Three Hag Way, and then that's like next level stuff, right? I think you would love that book. Oh yeah, I'll check we'll drop it out, in the definitely. show notes. And then the goal is fantastic. I think if you're an IT, this one just came recommended to me this year. It's called the Phoenix Project, and it's basically the goal, but for IT. So it's like you get your IT people to read that, you get your kind of business people to read the goal. But anyway, how about Ishmael, a favorite tool to grow your business, but cannot be FE International? Yeah. Oh yeah. We. I, we've actually recently switched from a combination of Asana and Slack and, and, and a few other bits to actually integrating everything within Microsoft Office. And I know that's probably not the most exciting answer you've ever had, but practically speaking, it's one of the best kind of infrastructure moves we've made. So we use Microsoft Teams now instead of Slack, for example, and everything is completely integrated across the kind of spectrum of everything you need. And frankly speaking, especially if you're kind of starting out kind of reevaluating costs, I know lots of people do at this time of year, everything's inclusive for, you know, relatively inexpensive fee versus lots of kind of other subscriptions you may be using up to kind of build the same kind of package overall. So yeah, again, not the most exciting answer, but Microsoft Teams, Microsoft Office Suite, Planner, everything that the SharePoint, you know, replace Dropbox for us and lots of other things and that has been really really good over the last six months or so so highly recommend it to anyone I don't think it's a boring answer at all because I I think it's very practical to your point there's so much SaaS that people are everything's SaaSified now right and you're in SaaS you get it but to have one thing that's integrated it's just simpler for everyone it takes a lot of cognitive load off I think because when you have so many different products that you're opening it kind of gives me like schizophrenia so (laughs) it makes sense no exactly yeah and then you start going from this is buried in this piece and this piece I actually know we moved off that you know six months ago so yeah, it is just one kind of, you know, the system just works you know, beautifully together. So that's something that there's been a huge change for us. And, and at the level and scale we're at now, the more things we can simplify, the better, frankly. So I think that's kind of something we've really tried to work hard on over, over the last few years from a, from a technical and an infrastructure perspective. All right. Final question, Ishmael. What's one company or founder that you're following right now? Right now, I mean, I'd probably, I mean, this is, I've been following him for a while. And yeah, probably again, a, a boring answer. Elon Musk. I mean, I, I absolutely love the guy. I think that mm-hmm. he's definitely out there, but I just love his, well, why can't we do it? Attitudes like, why can't? 
cars hover? Why can't we put people on Mars? And and not necessarily that he's going to get everything done himself. I mean, that would be a lot to ask of somebody, but he's at least turning the tide in terms of the way other people think, which I think, and that can apply across, you know, big enterprise all the way from you know how to NASA actually operate or want to operate into the future all the way down to kind of you know small business owner like well you know he started here here look at all the challenges he overcame the whole world told him he couldn't do the vast majority of things he's done and he just went and did it anyway so you can only admire that and you know good luck to him in the future awesome love it well Ishmael this has been fantastic what's the best way for people to find you online yeah, just feinternational.com or, or sasmag.com or yeah, my direct emails, ismail at feinternational.com. I love getting emails from people and just communicating directly. So uh, yeah, any of those ways. All right, Ishmael, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.